Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. I came across personally and also a lot of other women who were told by church and friends and family, good women don't leave their husband. Try to solve your problems. So sometimes what I think is important is that we are brave enough to say, you know what? This is happening. And being a good person and coming to the church is not enough. What else are you doing at home? Today's topic is a sensitive topic, but an important one. We're joined today by Dr. Angela Malis. She's a world-renowned expert on chronic pain management. In recent years, though, she's directed her research toward a persistently puzzling, misunderstood and ignored form of domestic violence, the abuse endured by high-achieving women who, to all appearances, have everything they need to stand up for and protect themselves. Today in Connections, Dr. Melis will share with us how women who find themselves in a situation like this can break free. Dr. Angela Malis is the director of the Pain and Wellness Centre in Vaughan, Ontario. She's also a professor of medicine at the University of Toronto. But you've also become very passionate about a different topic over the course of your career. You're very vocal on researching and speaking out against domestic abuse. What sparked this in you? Two reasons. First of all, this happened to me many years ago and for many years. And I had no resources. I didn't even understand what happened to me. And number two... There are too many women like me who are in this situation or where, and they never spoke about it. So I'm just bringing a topic that is not spoken out in the air. Why is it uh, a topic that we typically kind of don't speak about, or when we do, it's in hushed tones, you know? Because as it stands now, abuse in legal terms and in the eyes of the public has been almost always associated with a physical violence, the feticide, the beating, and the victim of such abuse is stereotypically portrayed as a woman who is weak, maybe doesn't speak the language, is not educator, or is uh, scared, doesn't have the emotional resources, dependent on the spouse, but that's not the type of people I describe. I describe a different cohort of women who are very successful in the outside world, they are primary or the major breadwinners in the family. They are the super women out there, but then they become something else at home. And that's exactly the subject that is never talked about because many of these women do not have the components of physical violence, though, though a percentage of those do, but they have the other component, which is unifying them, the emotional abuse for years. Doctor, why did you decide to change your focus? Uh, you I had two components of research in the book. One was a forum I conducted at home back in 2008 of uh, many successful women. We were about nine, ten women, all professional women, all on the top of their career, and all in the same boat as I was. So that was for women of my age, 40, 50, 60, and then I was intrigued in 2013 and 14. Uh, my hypothesis was younger women today are not going to be in the shoes we wear because they hear everything in the press, in the radio, in the media, in the website, so they are protected, they learn. And we conducted the pilot research with my staff just to find out to our surprise that young women aged 18 to 36 are still in 
the grips of this abuse with almost one in two uh, having an abusive relationship in the past or the present. Wow. So you obviously got out of that situation, but how do we get all these young people and all these successful women out of that situation? How did you get out? I believe strongly that recognizing the problem is 50% of the solution. If most of us went for years, and many of us did not really even understand it that well, uh, how would we expect others to know? So having somebody like a whistleblower, like myself, that I have been there, coming out and saying, hey, this is what happened to me, this is what the stats say, this is what happens also to young women, is uh, taking the lead of the subject. And then, of course, uh, if we do that, we discuss it in book clubs, we discuss issues in education, we do take a good look into other aspects of the abuse, we face the fact that culture is a significant factor in, in us being more vulnerable to abuse. And so we put that as educational instruments, we put out this in the press, in the media, we create conversations. And you wouldn't believe how many conversations have been opened since that book started coming out, how many young women would approach me and say, let me tell you my story. And I would have had no clue she's one of us. And that book was only released recently. How, how many people have come forward and, and expressed that? Remember, this book was released recently, but it has been in the write-up for 17, 18 years. So every time that I would collect cases and I would open up, because this is what you do when you're free, you're free also to talk. Every time that I would give a talk, who would be waiting for me in the corner? Maybe an accomplished doctor, the director of this program, the this and that. I have emails. I have texts to me. They come to see me. So this has been going on for a long time. And now that the book uh, is out, I get the emails. I get the calls, even in the short period of time that now this has seen the light of publicity. How do we uh, become people that others who are in the midst of uh, abuse, that they feel safe coming to us and having conversations, or how do we start those conversations with people? Remember, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a, a scientist, a clinician who had gone into a bad situation, and I decided to study on the top of that. What I found as uh, very rewarding for me is being able to talk to others. Either it was a formal psychotherapy, which I didn't take at those years, uh, or talking to other women or having these groups of women that help. And then the other thing is, as I said, more formal education. Write-ups in the press, in websites, bringing these up in the places of worship in schools, even at home. To me, these things are issues of education because you have to remember one thing. Emotional abuse does not have the same legal consequences like the physical abuse. If somebody breaks my hand, I can get a restraining order, he will be charged. If somebody calls me name and puts me down for a whole life or deprives me of my friends or making me feel low, where do you go? Nowhere. And we're learning now emotional abuse just as harmful as physical abuse, Doctor. What does emotional abuse look like? Well, there's a difference between the physical abuse. Usually physical abuse is, comes in spurs, uh, episodic. 
here you get, you make me upset or something like that, or it's a power play, here you get the physical part, the beating and all of that. Emotional abuse is the ongoing. It's under your skin. It could be little comments. It could be little belittling for everything you do. Or it could be big ones. You are fat. You are ugly. You don't make enough money. You are not good in bed. And it, or you are offended in, I offend you in the public, uh, all kinds of things. So it's overt and covert. And of course you have to remember that half almost of the women who are submitted in emotional abuse based on what we saw are also submitted in physical abuse. So there is this gray area where both of these things coexist. Surprisingly, after I wrote the book and I had a number of talk, talks, I realized that some of us have been in these shoes, even discriminated ourselves, that physical abuse is a no-no, but the emotional, eh, not a big deal, because I have a number of examples of women who said, you know what, I was in an arranged marriage. He demeaned me, and uh, he brought me down from the night we got married throughout the 25 years. But he beat me once in the beginning. I said, you do it once more, I'm gone. But because he didn't do it, I remained another 25 years. And I know the same thing for myself. So if inside our mind many of us consider that maybe emotional abuse is less detrimental than the physical one, imagine the greater crowd. So that's another misconception that exists there, even between us. You mentioned emotional abuse. Another thing about it, too, is that as a person suffering and in that situation, most people aren't going to recognize that. They're not going to see that because, like you said, physical abuse, you'll see bruises, you'll see a broken bone. How can we as friends and family recognize that someone is being emotionally abused? Uh, first of all, many times we are witnesses. We are witnesses because they come with a spouse in social events and we see the interaction between the couple. Unfortunately, if this happens only at home, in the absence of witnesses, and the woman never talks, the only indirect indicators we have are vague. Oh, she's abused. She, she's, uh, I'm sorry, she's depressed. Oh, she's withdrawn. Oh, she doesn't want to socialize. She has to run at home every time. These are all indirect indicators, and they are not very strong ones. And so this is where the secret veil of being a different person at home becomes a major issue because that picture is completely incompatible with how that person is in the public eye. Doctor, sometimes, too, maybe we think in our churches this kind of stuff doesn't go on. I'm wondering, what's the reality of abuse within Christian or other religious homes? Oh, I believe um, it's a very significant problem, not just for our Christian uh, denomination, but I see that in all kinds of other religions um, uh, that are not Christian. And actually, one of the things that is kind of important is to recognize that religious beliefs, ethnic origins, uh, family values sometimes are really shackles around our uncle, uh, our hands and our feet. Because I came across personally and also a lot of other women who were told by church and friends and family Good women don't leave their husband. Try to solve your problem. Mm -hmm. So sometimes yeah. what I think is important is that we are brave enough to say, you know what, this is happening. And being a good person and coming to the church 
is not enough. What else are you doing at home? Doctor, what are some of the things you discovered? Uh, one of the other things that was very important, and I want to stress it again and again and again, is how important uh, the women told us that family ties and the ethnic background, where they come from, may be extremely binding for them to come forward. And what worried me profoundly is when you look at the ethnocultural background of Canadians, we're a country of immigrants. Let's face it this way. So what are we bringing from home? Prior to 1960, 92% of immigration was from Europe. After 1980, 80 to 80, uh, 1990, 80 to 85% is from India, Pakistan, Philippines, Hong Kong, and China. People from Asian cultures are even different than the Western Europeans or the Southern Europeans. So they bring a lot more stuff, and it is everywhere. The relationship between men and women, how women are, are felt to be, what are the rights of women, and some cultures are even more restrictive than others. So we have to face that because by now, 2040 or so, a very large percentage of Canadians will have one or two immigrant parents. Many will be visible minorities, so we have to call it as we see it, and not just to say it doesn't exist. It does exist everywhere, and some situations is much worse than others. Dr. Melis, can you tell us a little bit more about your book, Smart, Successful, and Abused? It has three components. One is the personal storytelling. The other one is many stories of women, young and older, that I collected over the years. And the third component is research to answer a number of the issues. Why are we seeing it now? Is it more now than it was before in terms of this emotional abuse of high-achieving women? And one of the things that is very interesting from research is today's women are more educated. Today's women are having better jobs, bring more money to their home, and ample research demonstrates that if you bring more money home in the Western world, you have higher chances to be cheated by your spouse, to take antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications, and beyond a shred of doubt, as a professional woman who is emotionally abused at home, you do more homework than other women who are not in their shoes. So this is research on thousands of couples. So we are facing a new way of feminism because years before we, my generation, broke the glass ceilings, men were displaced from the boardrooms. You have to have equality. Laws came out. But at home, you try to retain your superiority at home. And then we bring other cultures, maybe where women are not even as liberated as we are in North America. These women will become your CEOs, will become your senior lawyers, will become the doctors, but they still have roots. What are they bringing to their kids? What are they bringing to the workplace? And what is happening behind closed doors in those homes? So I raise all of those questions because these are questions we are going to have to face and study them. Doctor, where can we find out more about your work? And if we or somebody we know are suffering from abuse, where are some resources that we can go to? Um, we have, in the book, we have several resources that we have outlined that are appropriate um, for the women uh, to go. And, of course, I guess the book is available now to the public, I understand, everywhere. Um, and my hope was that this will be discussed in agencies, will be discussed in 
uh, book clubs and will become a subject of conversation. In my two launches, I had a lot of men who came and bought the books for their daughters and their granddaughters. And there were women who bought the books for their sons because we want to raise a new generation of men who are going to be, feel more comfortable with these professional women. We've learned a lot today from Dr. Malis. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, we'll talk to you again on Connections.